Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed the course of history of the world and for all mankind for all eternity. And that's what we're going to be focused on this morning. I want to just kind of jump straight to it and and tell you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 24 um, because today we're focusing on the resurrection of Jesus and and the path of uh, scripture passages that I want to take us through this morning for me is one of the most um, deadlock, like lock and key uh, defenses and and apologetic arguments in in defense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 and start there. We're going to backtrack to chapter 23 and then then jump forward into Acts chapter 2 this morning as we look at um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ in, in my message that I've titled this morning, When Everything Changed. So we see in passages such as Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which tells us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind in Christ Jesus. We see in passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which tell us that when we know Jesus, that when we come to a, a, a life-changing faith in Jesus Christ, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and Ephesians chapter 4, we see that we become a new creation, that there is this incredible transformative power of change that comes from knowing Jesus Christ in his perfect life, in his sinless life, in his innocent death, and then in his resurrection. And so, like I said, this morning we are going to look at that in the first century, in the very first generation of the church, and how that change took place from from Jesus Christ's death on the cross to his resurrection, ascension, and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. So again, my my title for my message this morning is When Everything Changed. We're going to look at four major points of change in the early church and in that first generation of Christians. Um, We're going to see the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, the darkness on the road to Emmaus. We're going to see the sorrow at the hill called Calvary. We'll see the awe of the ascension of Jesus Christ, and then the radical change at the day of Pentecost. So those are my four kind of subpoints, if you will, and we will walk through those together um, throughout Luke chapter 24, chapter 23, and then Acts chapter 1. So if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 24, I want to read verses 13 to 35 as we get things started this morning. It's kind of a larger narrative passage, so hopefully it's easy to follow along, but it is a little bit longer, so follow along with me, starting in verse 13, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. It says, that very day, just a little context, the very day that that is, is the day of Jesus' resurrection. If you look back in the passage before, it was the resurrection, resurrection Sunday morning. That very day, two of them, that is Jesus' disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. 
Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found, found it just as the women had said. O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interrupted, interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he, broke, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose about the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father God, I do pray for our time together this morning. I pray that you would use me to speak the truth of your word this morning, that you would use me simply as a vessel to communicate the truth of, of your um, breathed out and inspired scripture, that we would see this, this narrative, this story, this recording of the factual event of Jesus' uh, resurrection. God, I pray that as we look at these passages together, that we will uh, believe more, that our faith would be strengthened and deepened in you, you and your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, I want us to start here at the road to Emmaus and, and basically walk together and see the, the sequence of events that happen that show us, in my opinion, the the lock and key argument in favor of and in defense of Jesus' resurrection. So of course we have the, the recording of scripture, but, but something that we have come against in our day and age is someone who might say, well, how can you believe the scriptures? How can you believe a book that is so old? Um, I, don't, I don't believe it. And, and to that, we can't really say, well, if you just believe this, because they've already said, but I don't. And so I want us to look really more deeply at what was going on and see how we even see here in, the, in this passage that these two followers of Jesus, well, only one of them is named Cleopas, they were, they were distraught, they were depleted, they were discouraged, they were sad, the passage actually tells us. And yet, out of this depleted group of, of Jesus followers, we have a movement that has completely turned the world upside down for the past 2,000 years, 
and will continue to do so for eternity. And so as we look at, at these passages this morning, that is my intent, is to show us and to look together at how things changed from Jesus's crucifixion to then his resurrection, ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So we see here in this passage that all of Jesus's followers, like I said, were completely depleted and deflated. They were discouraged because they witnessed their, their teacher, their leader, um, who they thought was the redeemer and Messiah of Jerusalem. They witnessed his death on the cross. And so these two followers that we see here on the road to Emmaus, they were literally throwing in the towel, right? They, were, they had followed Jesus, we don't know for how long, maybe they were there for all three years or two and a half or maybe just a year. We don't know how long they were following him for, but we do know that they were his followers and they were clearly distraught because of what had happened. It says that sadness uh, was their entire demeanor. Sadness and confusion kind of filled their entire being. They, they said, basically, all of this is way too much. Like, we followed this guy for all of this time thinking that he was one thing, and now he's dead. We've got no leader. Uh, and, and there are these women who are telling us that he may be alive, but it's just all too much. It's time for us to go home. And so they're making this seven-mile journey back to their home in, in Emmaus. Um, but Jesus doesn't let us just give up on him so easily, right? And so we see Jesus appear to them, but their eyes were, were kept closed. And, and that begs the question, why, why would their eyes be kept closed during their, during their walk to Emmaus with Jesus right there? And I think we see um, there's, a, there's a, I guess, a, a podcast or it, what, YouTube video series, if you will, that talks about why why maybe Jesus's, uh, Jesus's followers' eyes were kept closed in this, in this journey on the road. And, and basically they say it's because, here's a, here's a quote, it's because this is a story about how hard it is to see Jesus for who he really is. Because this story is a story of how, how God's royal power and love is revealed through a man's shameful execution. How could a humble man become the king of the world through weakness and self-sacrifice? You have to think that's probably what these guys were thinking. Like, if he was going to be the king of the world, like they believed he were, was going to be, how could this be the way? So they say, it's very hard to see, but this is the message of the entire gospel of Luke. It takes transformation of our imagination to see and embrace Jesus' upside-down kingdom. If we truly want to see Jesus for who he is and what he came to establish as his kingdom, then we've got to be willing to see that basically the world standards are flipped on their head, right? And we know this, but they didn't. They didn't realize that the death of their leader and teacher and the guy they thought was going to be the Savior and Messiah would eventually lead to him actually establishing this kingdom. And so their eyes were closed until Jesus broke the bread, which was a, a symbol of, of Jesus' body being broken on the cross. And then they see it, and we start to see a little glimmer of change, a little glimmer of hope in the change of these two disciples. We see here um, that they, in that very hour, choose to, to get up and go back. They had just traveled seven miles by foot, just traveled seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and then they decide within the hour that they returned, 
that they were going to head back and tell the disciples that they had just left behind. They had just thrown in the towel. They said, we just saw Jesus resurrected. He explained to us all of these scriptures, and now we have to go back and tell them what we've seen and what we've heard. And when they get back, they're met with uh, you know, supporting stories. They said that Jesus has appeared to Simon Peter. Jesus is alive. He has been uh, resurrected. And we start to see this little bit of change, this little bit of hope. So things are beginning to change for the disciples and for his followers. But before we jump fully into that change, let's go back to, to, verse, to chapter 23. I want to look at verses 44 through 49 because, again, this is the foundation. Jesus' crucifixion is the foundation for why they're so distraught. Why are the disciples so uh, deflated? So in verse 44 of Luke chapter 23, it says, it was now the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he, raised, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their chests. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. I want us to look at verse 49. It says, all of his acquaintances... And all of the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance. They, they stayed back a little bit. And we know from Peter's denial of Jesus Christ on the night of his, on the night of his trial, and we know from the disciples being, you know, kind of just sent out and, and dispersed, we know that they were fearful of, of their own lives being taken, of, their, of being arrested themselves for being associated and affiliated with Jesus Christ. And so we see here in verse 49 that all of the people who followed Jesus Christ, they wanted to keep their distance from him because they were still kind of like, what's, what's actually happening here? This man they had followed and seen perform incredible miracles, this incredible teacher who, who they had, had seen do incredible things, who had lived a life that was completely countercultural, and, and yet they had also seen him cause some trouble. And they had also seen him buck against the, the religious establishment that they had been living in and under for so long. And so there was kind of this, this uh, tug from both sides that where they're like, I don't, I don't actually really know what's going to happen next. But imagine, if you will, putting yourself in their shoes, following someone you believe to be a prophet, right? Because remember what the, what the disciples on the road to Emmaus told Jesus. They told Jesus, we, we followed this man who was a prophet. He was a great teacher. We also believed that he would be the Messiah, the redeemer of our nation. Imagine following him for years, only then to see him executed before your eyes. To be following a man who was doing incredible things, and surely there was incredible excitement. Think about feeding the 5,000 and then feeding the 4,000 just a few weeks later, and, and all of the miracles that he performed, walking on water and calming the storm and so much more, and yet now they've come to the point where they literally witnessed him being executed, killed on the cross. And so three days pass, and we have these disciples on the road to Emmaus who have thrown in the towel. They've decided this is too much. I, I can't 
keep following this. I can't keep doing this. You have the disciples who maybe stayed in Jerusalem who surely are thinking along the same lines and they don't know what to believe. And then you have to think again about the question that I've already brought up this morning, which is how could the movement known as Christianity come from a group so depleted and deflated? How could the world be turned upside down by a group of followers of someone that they just witnessed murdered? How could they change the world? And the answer we know comes in the remainder of Luke and in the book of Acts. So look again back over in chapter 24. We're going to read the last few verses of, of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 44 and read through to verse 53. So this is after the road to Emmaus, those disciples have already returned and now Jesus has appeared to his disciples um, in the room where they were gathered. And then he's talking to them in verse 44, it says, Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned, from Jerusalem, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So we see here that Jesus has now given them a promise. He said he opened their minds to let them understand why all of this stuff happened, to, to help them understand that the scriptures, which is at that time the Old Testament, was written so that all of these things would happen. He, he pointed out to them the prophets and the law and the Psalms, all of it pointed to me. All of it pointed to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, coming to the earth and doing exactly what he did. Suffering, sacrificing himself, being a humble servant in order to establish this kingdom that was completely opposite of what the world and even the religious leaders expected. And so we see here that the, the promise that Jesus made was to give them encouragement, hopefully, but also to sustain them until the promised helper would come. And we know that promised helper to be the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, there's, there's a couple of things. We, there's a couple of things that happen here because if we look in Matthew's account of when Jesus was on this hill, when he was on the, the mount with them um, before he ascended in Matthew, it's, it, this is when he gives them the great commission, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus Christ gives this command in the book of Matthew. This is the same uh, scenario, the same situation that's taking place here, just recorded differently by Luke. But in Matthew, in chapter 28 of, of Matthew, verse 17, it says that they were there together, the disciples seeing the resurrected Christ, seeing Jesus in the flesh, and yet, in, if you look in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17, it says, some worshiped him, but others doubted. 
There were some who were standing there with Jesus Christ, having seen him executed, and now with him for some days, hearing his words, uh, sitting under his teaching, and they still doubted. And so even the change that is coming has not yet fully taken place. This complete and total transformation has not happened until we get to Luke chapter 2. So let's turn to Luke chapter 2 and see in Luke chapter 2 what, what led to this real change. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14, we see there the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples of Jesus Christ. The coming of this promised helper, which is the Holy Spirit, is when finally we see real and meaningful transformation in the followers of Jesus. We finally see some real transformation. Because up until this point, it's been kind of reserved transformation. Like the disciples, they want to believe, they want to fully dive all the way in, and yet even in the midst of seeing him resurrected right before them, some in their, in their group still doubt it. And so in their doubt, in their questioning, after Jesus had ascended, he left them for some days and said, just wait, because there's this power from on high that we read in Luke chapter 24 that will be coming. And then we see in verses one through 13 in Acts chapter two, this Holy Spirit come upon them. And then the response is Peter's sermon at Pentecost in verse 14 and following, all the way through verse 41. I'm not gonna read that entire sermon, but just know, Peter, in verse 14, it says that he was standing with these 11 and he lifted up this voice, his voice and he said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear for these people are not drunk, right? Because the Holy Spirit descended upon them and they started speaking in tongues or in other languages. And so uh, the, the people who were gathered around said, these guys are just drunk. They've been drinking too much this early in the morning. But he said, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. But, and then he goes into all of the teaching of the prophets that said, it's Jesus Christ that you sacrifice. It's Jesus himself, God's own son, the Messiah, the Redeemer, and you executed him. You led him to the slaughter. And then we see in verses 37 through 41, I'll read those. It says, when the crowd had heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we go from these disciples on the road to Emmaus, completely debilitated in their faith, completely deflated in following Jesus Christ, to now we have Peter boldly proclaiming the truth about Jesus to the point that there were 3,000 people whose souls were added to the kingdom of God that day. And so when we go from such a devastated group of individuals, I mean, these guys were just completely downtrodden, right? To now we have uh, this group of guys who eventually they lead 
all of the early church in the book of Acts, right? We could read through the rest of the book of Acts and see everything they did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so then I have to ask the question, well, how could, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, why would this change have taken place? If it wasn't for the resurrection, if Jesus stayed dead, those guys would have stayed downtrodden. If Jesus did not come back to life, they never would have proclaimed the gospel. And so if someone asks you, as I said at the beginning, if someone asks you, well, how can you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You can tell them, well, first and foremost, I believe in God's word to be true and infallible and breathed out and inspired by him. And if they're like, well, that's not enough for me, then you can say, okay, well then explain to me why the disciples were so defeated and so discouraged how they could have turned the world upside down if it weren't for seeing Jesus resurrected and receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we've been singing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we, talk, we, we even sung a little bit about being filled with awe and wonder. And so a question that I have for you is, as we read these passages, surely some of you, even some of you have already told me this morning, this is a pretty familiar stuff. But hopefully today you see it, see it in a little bit of a fresher and, and newer perspective um, so that we can live our faith out with this sense of, of newness and awe, Right? I think about the last time that I was really genuinely filled with awe and wonder. Um, some of you know, Taylor and I, my wife and I, we used to live in the Pacific Northwest. We lived in Idaho for a few years um, and the state of Washington. But while we were out there, we went to Seattle um, one time to, basically we just went to Seattle to fly back here because the airport there was cheaper and, and easier to fly out of. But we went to Seattle and I had always wanted to see Mount Rainier. Has anybody ever seen Mount Rainier like in, in the person? Yeah, but with your own eyes, not like on a magnet or postcard. Um, so Mount Rainier, I'd always wanted to see Mount Rainier in real life. And, and so we're driving down the interstate, right? And we're going to Mount Rainier, but I know you can see Mount Rainier from far off. If you've never seen Mount Rainier in a picture even, Google it eventually and you, you'll see. You can see Mount Rainier from, from miles and miles and miles away. And so I'm driving on the interstate, going to Mount Rainier from the Seattle airport on our way back home. And I'm driving and I'm kind of like looking around and trying to see Mount Rainier. And finally, I kind of get a little glimpse of it and I start freaking out. I'm like, there it is. It's, it's right there. It's right. Taylor, look, it's right there. And Taylor absolutely freaks out. She's like having a heart attack in the, in the passenger seat because she thinks we're about to get hit, like T-boned or something like that. And she thinks I'm screaming because someone's coming the wrong way. But I, I'm freaking out, pointing out, there's Mount Rainier. And like, that's the last time I can really remember being filled with a sense of true awe and wonder at this Mount, it's landscape, I mean, it's the ground that's lifted up, right? Like, why would we be filled with awe and wonder on that? But it is, it's an incredible sight to behold. And, and I think, you know, as we, as we think about the awe that we are filled with when we see Mount Rainier or the ocean, you know, I know there's always, if you go, there's a lot of folks this morning who are at the beach because it's fall break, but like when you go to the ocean, you take in that first breath of, wow, you know, the ocean is so big. And this year when we went to the beach with our family, Abram, you know, is trying to basically drown himself by running into the ocean because he has no fear of the waves. But we have this respectful fear of, of the awe of the ocean and other things. There are other things that we have awe towards. 
Do you get, when you see those things and you're filled with that awe, the first thing we think of is not, wow, I am, I am just really big stuff. I am awesome. That's not the first thought we have. Like when I saw Mount Rainier, I did not think, look how big that mountain is and look at how awesome I am. That's not it. That's not what we do. When we get filled with awe over worldly things, but then especially over the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our first thought should always be, how big and how powerful and awesome is he? How awesome is the Lord? And so when we look at the resurrection, hopefully we're not just, yeah, we believe that. That's what it is. We're here every Sunday because of it. Like hopefully we're not just like bored. Hopefully, prayerfully, we are actually filled with awe over the resurrection and over knowing the truth of our salvation, which is Jesus Christ, his life, his perfect and innocent life, his death, and his resurrection, and then the Holy Spirit that we receive in him. And so my prayer for you is that as we leave this place this morning, that we would not just continue to live our lives willy-nilly or at our own, our own will and purpose, but my challenge for us this morning and for myself is are, are we living our lives in light of this radical transformation that comes from knowing the truth of the resurrection and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit? Are we truly living an awe-filled life based on our faith and knowledge of these truths? Or are we just bored with it? Is it just old news? Because it can become that but my prayer is that it wouldn't be that, that we would remember that it's good news, but it's not just good news, it's the greatest news ever heard. And it should fill us with awe and wonder every time we hear it. Let's choose today to live our lives filled with boldness and power that comes from the Holy Spirit, to live out of response of the awe that we have towards Jesus Christ and his resurrection this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we consider the truth and the magnitude of his resurrection, that you would help us not to be bored with that reality, but that we would hopefully, in a fresh way, know your son and his resurrection today, this morning, and every morning moving forward. God, I pray that as we um, reflect on the road to Emmaus and the crucifixion and resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, God, I pray that we, we would live our lives as if we were there for every one of those moments because, God, your word records it for us so that it's as if we were there and, and saw it with our own eyes. Help us to have that kind of faith today and every day, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.